Is the body a complex machine and the brain a supercomputer? Or does this explanation of what we are fall short? Today on Physically Spiritual, we will explore the intelligence of the body and how by harnessing its instincts, the body can become an ally on our journey to health and holiness. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to Physically Spiritual. In this episode, we're starting a new series about the body, uh, the beauty and complexity that's come to us uh, from both an evolutionary chain of causes and also God's design, God's creation. Uh, in this series, we're going to look at some uh, newer discoveries of science that maybe you didn't learn about in your high school or college science classes and how we can harness these insights to make choices that our body be- can become an ally in our, our journey to health and our journey to holiness. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to remind you about our show notes. We're, we're trying to have uh, great detailed notes with all the quotes we use for the references and links to my articles. And if you want to support the production of Physically Spiritual, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. All of the production work, behind-the-scenes work of Physically Spiritual is done by Awaken Catholic, uh, and it's an Awaken Catholic show. So if you want to support Awaken Catholic, go to awakencatholic.org. One of the most common misunderstandings about the body in Christianity is that the body is evil and that the soul is good. It sets the body and soul apart from each other almost as enemies. Uh, There were ancient heresies like Gnosticism and Manichaeism, and, and these heresies had ideas like, for example, that the body was created by evil, the body was created by the devil, and the soul was created by God, so the soul was good. So really what we were doing as Christians was we're like getting free from our body. And the goal was to, uh, to sort of gain knowledge and these purely spiritual things so that we could transcend our body and get rid of it and disregard it. This isn't Orthodox Christianity. Uh, throughout the Christian uh, time, there's a positive understanding of the body. Uh, while our passions can be unruly and sometimes the body, of course, can be difficult. I don't want to paint it in an overly rosy way. The body at heart is good because the body, like our soul, is made by God. And God declared everything good that he created. So while sometimes our body might be disordered and and its feelings unhelpful, um, at heart it's good. Uh, And we could actually, I think, by learning about the body, uh, by learning about the way it functions, uh, by learning about what environment it works best in, by healing wounds in it, uh, the body can become an ally to support us in our growth toward God. I want to revisit an idea called hylomorphism. In our first episode of Physically Spiritual, we talked about the body and soul, the intimate connection. And from a Catholic perspective, the body and soul aren't two substances connected. They're actually one substance, one thing. Uh, So we have a sort of a physical aspect or physical dimension to us as a person and a spiritual aspect or a spiritual dimension to us as a person. And the, the, the soul is the form of the body. The soul is what gives life to the body uh, organizes it, and, and, and is also synonymous with our idea of spirit. Uh, so the, the soul is intimately connected to the body. The separation of the soul and the body is actually just the definition for death. 
so to have your body separated from your soul is to, to die. And we believe ultimately that we're called to eternity, a physical eternity with God. We believe in the resurrection of the body, that in the second coming of Christ, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be a resurrection of our bodies that we, we live in an embodied state in heaven for eternity with God. So Christianity is a religion, not just of the spirit, but also a religion of the body. Um, we have a savior who came to us in a body as a person. The incarnation wasn't just a, a God robot that God created a human body and then controlled it with a joystick from heaven. Uh, no, no, Jesus was fully man as well as still being fully God. So Jesus had a, a body and a soul, was fully human like us and, and integrated in his personhood. Um, so we're people of the incarnation, and, and our faith is incarnational. This is why Catholics have all the smells and bells, and when you go into a Catholic church, your, your senses are engaged, because we believe that's how God designed us, to experience the world through our senses. As we think about this idea of hylomorphism, uh, one of the common mistakes can be um, sort of localizing the soul to just a part of the body. Right? You might say, yeah, sure, the, the soul and the body are one thing, one substance, but there's a particular way or a specific place where the soul and body are connected. Uh, you might think, for example, that your brain is connected to your soul. So your soul's kind of calling the shots, that, that idea of the ghost with the joystick, and then the, the soul's connected to the brain intimately and essentially, and then the, the body is sort of the outward manifestation of what the soul is doing. And this is, this is also an incorrect idea. Um, here's what uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says in the, the Summa Theologica, and this is actually, he's, he's referencing St. Augustine from De Trinitate, and he's also referencing Aristotle. So we see this consistent line of understanding from philosophy through Catholic theology. Um, the whole soul is in each part of the body by totality of perfection and of essence, but not by totality of power. Let me say that again. The whole soul is in each part of the body. This means your whole soul is in relationship to your pinky toe as much as your brain, as much as your heart, as much as your skin. So every part of your body is connected to your whole soul. Right? The soul isn't, isn't localized to just one place on the body. The soul is spiritual. So, so by definition, to be spiritual is to not have location to not have mass, to not have color. All these attributes we give to physical things, spiritual things don't have. So spiritual things connect to the physical world by way of relationship, by way of connection. Um, so, so the whole soul is connected to each part of the body. And this is by perfection and of essence. Right? So these are two distinctions we don't have to get into as much, but just to know that the whole soul is, but not in totality of power. So the body is actualizing different elements that, that sort of match or correlate with powers of the soul. So, for example, I have eyes that see. So the, the eyes are my actualization of my power of sight, along with the nervous system that supports that ability and, and the brain that supports that ability. But on the other hand, the heel of my foot isn't actualizing sight, right? There, there's certainly a relationship of the whole body through the nervous system and different elements where, where it all sort of comes together in our experience. Um, but each part of the body doesn't have or express every power of the soul, is all we're saying. But on the other hand, remember, every part of the body is connected to the whole of your soul.
So there's this, this intimate and complete connection of your whole self. So oftentimes we might um, assign values to parts of our body based on how useful we think they are, right? Like, oh, I could live without my hand or, you know, just don't chop this off because that's more important to me. No, your whole body is important. It's, it's always a tragedy when we're damaged or hurt. Uh, maybe if, if you're born with, uh, with uh, some, some damage to your body or, or you've gone through an accident, there's, there's always a tragedy to that. And, and we have to go through mourning with that and, and living with that is difficult. So we need to recognize that the whole body is important uh, and it can be so hard to live without part of your functioning. Um, the body is also an organic substance. We started off with that idea that the body is like a complex machine or in the brain like a supercomputer. This idea is so imbued in our society, you can't get through a hardly a, a book, a self-help book or a science textbook or, or explain the way the body works without some allusion to mechanics, to engineering, to, to a machine. Um, it's all over the place, this idea that the body is just a complex machine. Um, so what's implied by that is if, if we could make uh, a robot that um, was just complex enough and, and advanced enough that it could replace the human body, right? I could like take my consciousness, take my soul and put it in this computer. And then since now I'm a machine, um, I won't age and I could just live forever in this robot. Uh, but all of this comes from, one, the, the misunderstanding of what soul is. Right, they're, they're thinking of the soul as a separate substance that can be removed and transferred. And also thinking of the body as this complex machine. But the body's not a machine. It's, it's essentially different than what a machine is. The body's an organic substance. Organic substances grow, they heal, and they self-organize. And, and even if we could create a machine that mimics these, like let's say the machine is actually trillions of micro-robots, Right? So then on the surface, it, it appears as if it's uh, healing and self-organizing. Ultimately, there's going to be some kind of programming in those micro-robots, those mini-robots, um, that are directing it. Right? So, so the body directs itself in large part. There, there's significant portions of our, of our functioning in the world that we have no control over. Um, you know, try to change your heart rate or to stop breathing. Right? Your body eventually takes control back. Right? There, there's an automatic functioning to these things. Uh, try to stop a child from growing through willpower. Sure, you could malnourish the child and, and damage their body that way. But the parents don't need to plan out the, the child's body. The body just grows on its own. It, it's wonderful. It's beautiful, just like a tree or any other animal in nature. So the body is organic. And the brain isn't a supercomputer. While a, a lot of um, the intelligence of the body is in the brain, there's this back and forth between the whole body. Uh, in the next few episodes, we're going to talk a lot more about this. But there's actually a whole complex of nerves around your gut, around your digestive system, that people call your second brain. Uh, I think there's as many nerve fibers around your digestive tract as there is in the rest of your spine up to your brain. So, so there's a massive amount of information going from your body to your brain, which is a part of your body, and, and back and forth. So the brain isn't just making decisions and then dictating down things to the body, but the body is actually also dictating things to the brain. There's information coming to the brain from the body, uh, and then the, body, the brain is then relaying information back throughout the body. There's this, this sort of conversation between the brain and the rest of the body that's mutual. Um, it's not just all brain-directed. Now, now, the brain is very important, of course. Um, 
but it is a part of the rest of the body. So when I think of healing the body, I like to uh, think of it as a mind-body approach. So uh, part of this approach is actually starting with the physical layer. Um, A lot of healing methods, uh, especially in psychology, can just be a top-down approach, meaning you start you start with your, your thoughts, your memories. Uh, you start with your brain. You, you talk about your problems. And then by talking about it, you can change your beliefs, your relationship to the thing. And, and eventually, there can be this change. Um, and, and that can work sometimes. But it's also a valid approach to go from the body up, meaning you, you notice what's happening in your body, and, and you do um, what the body needs. You, you help the processes of the body through, and you experience a healing in your body that then actually changes your brain and changes the way you think. There's this two-way street approach. So when we are are healing, we can take this top-down approach, but we can also have a bottom-up approach. Um, And I would actually propose that a lot of Christians that are are really trying to do God's will and follow follow God's law and continue to struggle might be maximizing on the top-down approach meaning they're doing everything they can spiritually. They're going to church and praying and going to confession and reading the scripture and meditating and, and doing all of this stuff um, with their mind, but then they might be altogether neglecting their body. And even if they are trying to live a healthy life, um, they probably aren't very strategic about how the, the mind and body work together, what specifically you can do um, to change your brain by changing your body, and then also by changing the way you think and the way you feel. By changing your body. So I think there's a ton of low-hanging fruit for growth and for change. Uh, and like I said, to make the body um, an ally in our route to holiness. How, how often have you heard that even? In so much of Christian language, the body has this negativity to it. We can see the body as bad or, or at, at worst or at best uh, sort of an unruly child or, or something that, um, that's difficult to deal with. Um, But in my experience, there are areas of my life where I've changed my behavior and over time experienced healing and experienced growth. And now uh, more and more and more, the desires in those areas of my life actually support my quest for holiness, support uh, my healing journey, that I'm I'm attracted to the things that are good to me. But there's this expression of virtue that also goes through my body and not just my soul. Um, So we might have this overemphasis on the brain when we think about our body. Uh, while the, the brain certainly is the seat of consciousness, right? For example, if, if you get hit on the head hard enough, you'll pass out, you'll lose consciousness. And there are, um, are, are da- damage that can be done to the brain to permanently affect your consciousness, the way you think about the world. Or some people are born with dis- birth defects or disabilities um, that permanently affect the way their brain functions. So, so there is this really important role of the brain in the functioning of our of us as a human person, but we shouldn't confound consciousness with reason. So one of the struggles we might have as Christians is there's different kinds of vocabulary. There's a vocabulary that comes to us from the philosophy and theology of our church, and then there's also a vocabulary that comes to us from science and from medicine. So oftentimes when when we're reading in these two areas, we can confound concepts because we misunderstand um, what are synonyms when sometimes the same word is used in both places, but the authors mean completely different things. And one of these things we might confound is the idea of consciousness with the idea of reason. So let's, let's revisit these ideas. We talked a little bit about um, reason in the last episode um, and, and the way that our, 
our awareness of the world functions. So our, our reason, our ability to know things, starts with our sense experience of the world. And so I have, I have an experience of things with my external senses, of sight, hearing, taste, smelling, touching. And then I have internal senses of memory and imagination and judgment. And, and I have a common sense that knits all of this experience together. And based on these experiences, uh, my soul extracts a universal idea. Right? So I have uh, a knowledge of things beyond their physical limitations. Right? I used the example before of a dog. I don't just know dogs. I know the concept of dog. So I might be able to encounter a species of dog I've never seen before, but I can effortlessly identify that as a dog. Right? I know that a German Shepherd is a dog as much as, as a, uh, a poodle is a dog, and they look so different. Right? No, I have this universal idea of dogness. Um, but on the other hand, I can't actually think of pure dogness. When I try to think of the concept of dog, what comes to mind is a particular dog. Maybe the first dog I ever experienced, or the dog that I think is most dog-like, or the last dog that I saw. But I can't conjure to mind the universal principle, because the form is always with the matter. The soul is always with the body. There's this intimate connection between body and soul. So we don't think in forms, but those universal ideas, they do come in and influence our consciousness, because it's, a, it's another piece of data that we experience passions about, that we experience draws of. We have true knowledge of the universals, but this knowledge isn't in the level of sense. We don't get pictures of it. We just get pictures of the particulars that we've experienced. All right. Sorry for the, the diatribe into uh, the philosophy and, and uh, epistemology there. Um, but hopefully um, that's helpful to understand what we mean by reason, right? the ability to know universals, the capacity for wisdom to know truth, um, in comparison to this whole complex of sensing, internal and external senses. On the other hand, in, in contemporary language of psychology, in contemporary language of medicine, we use terms like consciousness, and we use terms like intelligence, and we use terms like mind. And really this idea of mind is this principle of, of knowing that transcends the body. So mind could almost be a synonym for soul, in a sense, although, although it's always interconnected. The, the mind and soul, the body and soul are connected. So this mind, we might think of in a similar way as the soul. Some people use those terms interchangeably, and some people um, use them a little bit differently. This idea of consciousness is, is really our stream of experience or our awareness of the world, our felt sense of the world, along with what we know consciously, right? What I'm actually thinking of. Uh, we, we shouldn't identify ourselves with our consciousness. We're our whole person, body and soul. And one of the phenomenon that that emerge from that body and soul interplay is consciousness. The, the closest thing that we might compare to consciousness is this common sense. Right? We have this integration of all the different inputs from the external senses, from the internal senses, from, from the uh, power of reason. And, and then we experience all these passions in the midst of that, these attractions and repulsions to these things. So really consciousness might most closely be related to this common sense. Um, and then we have this idea of intelligence, or IQ. You might have heard of the intelligence quotient. Uh, the IQ is, is tested. It's a, a battery of tests, questions, and exercises the person goes to. And it's really their, their capacity to express their mind in the world. Right? So how clearly can you 
um, answer a question, or how quickly can you organize things to match a picture? Um, how well does your, your mind function when it's put onto these tests? Um, so circling back to the idea of brain as the seat of consciousness, or, or really important for consciousness, um, if we were to say that consciousness and reason were the same thing, um, I think we would be in, in a really bad place with how we think of the dignity of the human person. As Catholics, we see the, the dignity of the human person in, in everyone, and that, that dignity comes from God and comes from what we are made in God's image and likeness, not what we're capable of. Right? So, so the, the baby in the moment of conception in the womb has the same dignity as the adult professor who can think uh, through complex ideas. And on the other hand, uh, someone with, with a developmental disability, where they struggle with that IQ, right, the ability to express their intelligence into the world in ways that we uh, think are important, um, they're not less human or have less dignity because of that. No, they're fully rational because they have a soul. And, and there might be issues with the body or, or things that we have a hard time connecting with because their body might be different than ours. Um, so it's just an expression of how they, they express themselves in the world that's different, but they are a body soul composite like the rest of us. And then on, on the other hand, if you were to experience a traumatic brain injury and then not be able to express yourself the same way, it doesn't make you less human now. You're not less who you are or less in the image and likeness of God um, because of that damage. No, no, there's something that's hurt the body that, that then disrupts your ability to express yourself. All right. That was a lot, but hopefully that helps to understand um, these concepts that we have from our faith of, of reason, uh, of will, of the internal, external senses, of our passions, as compared to ideas that we get from modern uh, science and modern medicine, like um, consciousness and intelligence and mind. Um, so in all of this, uh, we do struggle with our body at times. Like I said, I don't want to paint too rosy of a picture of the human body. It's difficult. You know, we, we know what we want to eat, but we are attracted to the things that aren't healthy for us. We, we know how to love our spouses, but then in, in moments of heat and anger, we struggle sometimes and we hurt them so badly. Um, there's this, this disruption in our person, this um, lack of harmony between what's really good for us and what we're drawn to and our ability to do the good that causes a lot of problems. Um, but we shouldn't take these struggles to mean that the body is hopeless or that the body is, is just broken. Um, I would propose that actually our bodies are more or less the same as Adam and Eve's, as the first parents were before the fall, except for two exceptions. One, Adam and Eve lost the gifts of grace that came with original justice. Uh, we talked about the preternatural gifts before. So they lost these gifts that gave them um, incorruptibility. Right, that they weren't going to die. It gave them this integrity, that they had this order in their person, this harmony in their person to direct their lives according to the truth that they knew. Um, and then there's also an effect because of the accumulation of sin in time. Sin wounds us. It, it hurts us. It damages us. While some sin damages the body more obviously, more explicitly, all sin has a negative effect on us. It causes uh, wounds of, of ignorance. We would lose our capacity to know the truth and we become weaker, and our, and our passions become more unruly as a result of sin. We become ordered to the sin. We become bent toward the sin. So we do have these difficulties as a result of sin, but just as a, a physical thing, the body isn't different than Adam and Eve's. 
But there was uh, an, an accumulation of adaptations of biological and physiological changes that led Adam and Eve's body to be what it was, and, and God created a human soul for them, right, and intimately bound that together. So they were, became biologically human through a process of evolution, and then there was a creation of the soul by which then they become theologically human, right? They become human in the way that we are because of the introduction of now the power of reason, um, and as a result, then, then they were given uh, additional gifts to live in harmony with God, these preternatural gifts that ordered them to God and enabled them to overcome any of their instincts that were disordered or unhelpful. Um, so where we are now is we, I think, pretty much have the same body. I'm sure in the, the last thousands of years and however long it's been, the body might have continued to adapt and evolve a little bit. Um, but evolutionary changes happen over the course of hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years. Um, and I also don't think we need to hold that God like struck the body down, um, that God damaged the body in a way that's unreconcilable, and now it's just hopeless and broken. No, no, because of sin, they lost those gifts. So the unruliness that we experience in the body are, is the logical consequence of that sin and then the accumulation of actual sins throughout time. So we've uh, continued to damage the body by our choices and the ways we've been wounded by the people around us. Um, now, I do want to make clear that, that this way of integrating uh, evolution and creation isn't church doctrine, that the church leaves it really up to science to determine whether or not evolution is true, uh, and there's an openness in the church to those theories, but it isn't doctrine. And so the specific way of, of understanding this integration of um, of creation and evolution, sometimes called theistic evolution, um, is just one way of, like I said, one way of integrating these ideas, which I think is particularly helpful when we're thinking about growth and healing in the body. So let's talk a little bit more about sin. In Jesus's ministry, uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 9, his apostles uh, encountered a man that was blind from birth. And this is what it says. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. So, so these first century Jewish people had an understanding uh, of sort of a direct causal relationship between sin and damage in the body. Um, so you sinned, and in response, God struck your body somehow, uh, damaged it, or caused the disease to happen in you. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not the way it works. Right? God isn't up in heaven doling out punishments in time um, just because, like we need to get the message clearer or something. No, no, God allowed this damage to be there. Sure, God's will is involved. There's nothing outside of God's will. Um, but it's so that the glory of God might be made visible through him. Any evil God allows, we can trust that in his providence, it's because he wants to draw a greater good out of it, or that if we cooperate with his will, we'll actually be better off because of it. Um, so there is this, this relationship between um, sin and damage in the body, um, but it's not the relationship that the apostles think. For example, sin does cause the body to be worse off, right? Adam and Eve sinned and they lost the gifts that they had. So as a result, 
there was disease. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, there wouldn't be disease. There would be an order in the body, and our passions would be drawn to the physical world around us in a way that was according to our health and according to our best interest. Um, so we wouldn't have that kind of disease. There was a special grace that made that so. So because of their sin, disease did enter the world. But it's not, um, not a fickle God that's doling out damage to people as a result of their sin. And in addition to that, some sins might damage the body. Like I might struggle in gluttony and overeating. And as a result of that overeating, I might damage my body to the point where I have a disease. Right? Maybe um, an example would be a diabetes. Although not all diabetes as a result of people's choices. Some are. Some cases are preventable where it's uh, somebody's eating and, and elevating their blood sugar and causing damage in their body over time. That, that brings it to that point. Um, and that's, that's really difficult to deal with. So some, um, some damage in the body, some disease is a direct result of sin, but it's not God mediating out punishments. Right? It, it's the logical consequence. It's, we're, we're actually changing our body by our choices that's making it happen. So this begs the question, are health and holiness synonymous? Are health and holiness synonymous? Meaning, if you're holier, you're going to be healthier, and if you're healthier, you're going to be holier. No. No, they're not synonymous in that way. Um, there, there is a part of health that is out of our complete control. Some people contract horrible diseases and, and, or damages dealt to them by circumstances of life. Uh, and so there's great saints in the history of the church who struggled with physical health for various reasons. Um, always, like I said, God allows the damage to happen. God allows it to happen so that a greater good can be drawn of it. Uh, so overcoming those struggles... Um, can be a source of holiness, a source of virtue, a source of growth. But on the other hand, I think we also have to hold that it could have been better if it wasn't the case too, right? So, so God did make the best of it in his grace and in his virtue, but just on a physical level, there is a, a, an evil to that disease. It, we wish that wasn't the case, that people had these struggles, right? So we shouldn't just blithely um, tell people not to have to mourn when they are damaged or hurt or get a disease, because, oh, God's going to make something good out of this. It's true, God will make something good out of it if we cooperate, but it's still going to be hard. It's still terrible. It's still painful. Um, so we have to have compassion that there is real evil, uh, physical evil in disease, in people's struggles. And on the other hand, health isn't always synonymous with holiness, right? You, we might be drawn to health uh, just to certain characteristics of health. Like maybe you want your body to look a certain way. Well, there, there's a way to lose weight or to gain muscle that actually is going to cause vice in the person, whether it be um, something like vanity, where it's just about the appearance, or maybe it's uh, a misguided need to emulate strength and be safe, right? So you're going to build all these physical muscles um, as a way of like compensating for this fear or this vulnerability in your life. So there's, there's different ways we can get healthier that actually uh, aren't ordered toward our holiness, there's also a way that we might uh, have an integrative approach to health, but still not be directed to our greatest good, right? We might be directed to holistic health of mind, body, and soul, but just see it all as a means to an end because I want to live forever or I want to be remembered, right? So our, our ends, our intentions might be disordered. And so that, that growth of holiness, that growth of, I mean, health of healing uh, might actually be taking us further from God, because it's something that comes between us and God, my self-reliance, my need to live longer, um, my need to not need God's help, to not 
need his grace. Um, but I would propose there's a, a third way, a, a deeper way, a way that transcends all of these, where we're seeking the health of our body, the holistic, integrative health of our body, and also our spiritual growth, our, our healing of, of our wounds spiritually, uh, and at the same time trying to do God's will in our life. And I would propose that this is actually the best way. This is the way that the body is not just a means to an end, but it's an end in itself, but it's an end for the kingdom of God. And by taking this approach, the body can become an ally in that quest for God, where our instincts become ordered toward uh, what's actually good for us, what's actually healthy for us. I want to repeat it again. Uh, I don't want to paint too rosy of a picture. We're always going to have some struggle in this life, and the body's never going to be perfect. Um, perfectly ordered toward the good of the gospel. But uh, we can experience a lot of healing where the body can, can really help us out. So how can the body help us be holier? I like the idea of a, a GPS, that the body is like a GPS and the destination is set for survival. Right? This, this process of adaptation of biological change throughout time in response to the environment, in response to things that are happening, the body is always adapting for survival. It wants to continue on. Um, And this survival, though, isn't acutely interested in you living to be 80 years old or helping you be a scientist or something like that. It's interested, one, in your immediate survival, getting past immediate threats to your life or perceived threats to your life, and two, bringing you to the point of uh, reproduction and having children and raising them to the point where they can survive on their own. Right? So, so these instincts just on their own are actually really good at getting us to be happy and healthy until we're like 30 or 40 years old. <laughs> um, but if we're just living on these instincts going by what we're drawn to, a lot of people experience somewhere maybe between ages 25 and 35, things, they start to notice that things aren't quite working as well as they used to. Right? Maybe they're starting to gain weight, or maybe they're losing all their energy or experiencing some kind of mental illness or something like that, um, depression or anxiety. Right? They still start to experience these symptoms in their body. Um, and what we tell ourselves are things like, oh, this just happens when you get old. Right? It's just a sign of aging. You know, Oh, you just hurt when you get older. Um, but I would propose a lot of uh, these struggles, these pains, this, this harm that the body incurs— is as a result of a mismatch, a mismatch between the conditions that brought our body to be what it is in time and the current environment it's in and our behaviors, um, so that we're actually, by our lifestyle and by what the body's encountering, it's slowly getting damaged in, in a way that you, know, you don't necessarily notice it, like that traumatic brain injury causes a, a significant acute damage. One day you're fine, the next day you have all these symptoms. Um, we have this very gradual, slow, damaging process that happens in our body, and then we start to accumulate these symptoms of this damage that we start to notice, and then eventually it starts to disrupt our functioning in the world. We might go to a doctor, and these symptoms may or may not match a disease that's been defined, right? So you might have had the experience of going to a doctor, and you you don't feel right, and you have these problems, and they do some tests on you, and they say, well, you're fine. Maybe they'll imply it's all in your head, or or um, you know, just take a little Advil or something, right? And, and you'll be better. But, but you know something deeper is wrong. There's this, this damage. Maybe 
uh, your symptoms match an accumulation of symptoms that have been defined as a disease, right? So then they give you this label and then they might give you a medication or some other standard of care approach that may or may not work for you. Um, but the, the body has been damaged by a mismatch between the conditions that make it flourish, the conditions that make it healthy, and um, the actual environment it lives in, the choices we're making. Um, so I want to propose to you that we can use our power of reason and free will in such a way that we actually fulfill the body's instincts. We can actually be satisfied. We can give it what it needs for health. We can give it what it needs for wholeness, for, for integration. And at the same time, we can also live the gospel. Your, your body doesn't want to make you sin. It's the idea of sin, virtue, and vice doesn't have meaning to your body. Um, your, your body is, like I said, sur- solving for survival, and the instincts are interacting with the world in that way. Is, is this safe? Is this connecting? Is this good f- for me? Or is this dangerous? Is this something I need to avoid? Is this going to cause disruption? And you're, you're experiencing this attraction or repulsion to things based on these survival instincts, both your individual instincts and the survival of, um, of the, the human race. Um, but on the other hand, um, some of these instincts are actually helpful. And we don't think of it that way. But, for example, I think as humans we have like a tribal instinct where we're drawn to people. And when we do things to hurt others, we experience a guilt in our body. We experience a shame. Um, and, and that's an instinct in us that's built into our biology to keep us connected with other people in a community, in a family, because we know that being together, we survive better. We're safer when we're with others. So, so there are, are examples where our survival instincts are actually helpful. They're actually good for us. We don't want to shut our instincts off. God doesn't come to obliterate our instincts and feelings. He comes to order them to our greater good. Um, another example might be the nurturing of children. A lot of people report once they have children, they just experience this overwhelming attraction, love, feeling of, of, um, of just being overjoyed by them. And so when they're caring for their child, it isn't a burden because they, they feel this overwhelming attraction to nurture them. Well, there's a spiritual side to that, I think, but there's also a physical side where it's in our biology by evolution and by instinct to do that care and that love. So the body is actually a support in virtue, the virtue of being a good parent in God's image and likeness. Everything that happens is information for the body. I actually kind of committed my own air that I pulled out there, the, the mechanizing of the body, um, that everything is information for the body. I'm not saying the body is a computer or a machine, but everything is information that the body is reacting to. So stress, food, sleep, social interactions, um, things that happen to you that are traumatic, all of these are things that are, are happening in your body, and your body's adjusting to them. Um, so, so everything is information for the body. Every meal you eat, your body's reacting to. Every night of sleep, your body's reacting to. So the way you feel now is actually an accumulation of experiences as much as it, as it is being in the current moment. We're creatures of habit. We're creatures of virtue and vice. In the next three episodes, I'm going to talk about three different aspects of the body that, that are, are rather new to science, and there's still a lot of discovery happening. The first area I'm going to talk about is epigenetics. So we, have, we all have genes. We have DNA. The study of epigenetics is the study of how our genes express themselves. In a sense, some genes are turned on and others are turned off. Um, and, and this 
comes down to both uh, default settings in the body, things we've experienced in the world turn our genes on and off, and our choices turn our genes on or off, as all of the cells in our body are experiencing the world around us. So in a sense, our whole body remembers. The next idea, we're going to talk about the autonomic nervous system and, and a theory called polyvagal theory. So this is your body shifting between states of safety and connection between fight, flight, and, uh, and freeze or being shut down. So all of this is happening in your body. Everything you're experiencing, um, your body is experiencing is either safe, something you're, you're connected in, is something that you want to be social in, or it's perceiving it as a danger. And this experience of the world um, that's moving between these survival states of connection or, or needing to get away or needing to fight or needing to play dead, this is all actually experienced in your body um, in a part of your brain that evolved before the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your, your brain that causes consciousness in a lot of ways. So, um, so we're not aware of these shifts, but learning how to experience these things in our body, we can learn to harness that instinct and, and grow out of places we're stuck in those instincts. Then finally, we're also going to talk about these things called our microbiomes. We are colonies for microorganisms. Now, some people have a hard time dealing with that, um, but some scientists have calculated that there's as many foreign things living in your body as there are your own cells. <laughs> now, these are, are actually much smaller than most of our cells, um, so they don't, in a sense, outnumber us by mass, but just by, by number, by how many there are. Uh, these, are these are things like fungus and bacteria, viruses. Uh, they live throughout our di- digestive tract and our mouth, on our skin. Um, so in a sense, our body is an environment. And the way that these, these little buggers survive is by influencing us. Uh, so even like the cravings for food that we have could be caused by, um, by these microorganisms interacting with our nervous system in our stomach, which then sends signals to our brain, which then draw us or attract us to certain kinds of food. Right, so, so our perception of the world, our experience of the world is influenced by all three of these, these elements. And when we overlay this with our idea of the will as a rational appetite, that we're experiencing the whole world around us um, through our senses, and we're being attracted or repulsed by it, and there's an interplay of memory and imagination and, and our knowledge in the midst of all of that, um, all this is also affected by the state of our body. Right, so my experience of something when I'm in a state of safety my passions toward it might be different than if I'm in a fight-flight state. Um, my experience of my meal or, or uh, my feeling at work might be affected by all these little microorganisms living in me. Um, all the, the epigenetic changes that have happened in, to me throughout my life have changed the way that my uh, DNA is being expressed in my RNA and the way that my body is creating proteins. Um, so all that's changing the way my body feels and interacts with the world around it. So there's this beautiful, amazing complexity in our body that's, that's affecting uh, the way I perceive the world, the way I'm attracted or repulsed by things, and then my ability to choose the good. Um, so we can learn, to some extent, how we can make changes in our life uh, to optimize these different areas uh, to live a life for God. Our body doesn't want us to sin. Our body's not broken. Our body's not bad. Our body's good. But we have instincts that sometimes aren't helpful. 
right? They're in line with these immediate survival needs, or, or maybe it's a misperception based on memory or trauma or something from the past. Um, so we can learn to, to heal these uh, different functions of our body, and through this process, slowly, 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 our body can become an ally in our journey toward God. Thanks for listening to this episode of Physically Spiritual. I just want to remind you about our show notes. Uh, the next few episodes, we're going to get into a lot more science as we're talking about epigenetics and polyvagal theory and the microbiomes. Um, so as we're going into the scientific information, check out the show notes. I'm going to have in there references to other podcasts and, and videos that you can watch to go deeper in these topics, references to scientific articles and, and scientists and, and doctors who are experts in these areas, and also um, uh, links to articles where I've gone deeper in these topics of integrating uh, these scientific ideas with, with our faith. Um, if you want to support the podcast, consider becoming a member of the Awakened Nation. The Awakened Nation are patrons of Awakened Catholic, so go to awakencatholic.com to become a part of the Awakened Nation. Thanks for watching this episode of Physically Spiritual. If you're watching the show on YouTube, make sure to press the like button, subscribe to the Awaken Catholic YouTube channel, and turn on the bell notifications so that you can find out when new episodes are released. Also, it's super helpful if you could leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or your podcast player. At Awaken Catholic, we're dedicated to bringing people to truth through beauty. This show and all the shows here on Awaken Catholic are only possible because of people like you. You can become a part of what makes this all possible by making a tax-deductible donation for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week. To join the Awakened Nation, visit awakencatholic.org forward slash join.